For those of you that are with us for the first time this evening, I'm so excited that you decided to join us. My name is Derek, and I would love to meet you after service. And you are in luck because you came during our series where we'll be spending these few weeks talking about love, dating, sex, and marriage. So if you're excited to hear pastors say the word sex a hundred times, come next week. We're talking about sex next week. But anyways, we'll keep going. So speaking of dating, for my wife Taylor and I, our dating story is a little unique. So the spring before my freshman year of college, I got my first real girlfriend as I was wrapping up my senior year, and we dated for a few months, and we broke up right before I left to go to college, and I was going to go my freshman year to a college in Minnesota. And as I talked about last week, when I was in that season of life, I desperately wanted a spouse. It was like a weird amount of desperation to find a wife. And after that high school relationship ended, I was an emotional wreck. Every song made me cry. I just was sad. I thought I was me alone forever. And I remember when my parents dropped me off at college. Before my first day, they took me to a park to like, I don't know why, looking back, it's kind of weird, like me and an 18-year-old and my two parents in a park. But while we we're sitting there looking off into the lake, some like cross-country girls ran by us, and I was just so sad. I just watched them like, none of them will marry me ever. This part's a little creepy, but my parents like enable me to do whatever I want. So they're like, let's get in our car and follow them. We'll find out what college they go to. So we figured out how far of a walk that campus was from my school. Again, I was really desperate, and my parents just said, let's go for it. That was really weird. But let's go back to the park. We'll go back there. So as I was looking off in the distance, reminiscing about my future and thinking about my thought that I was going to spend eternity alone, my older brother, who must have been really sick of my moping, he told me to look up this girl named Taylor Harmon on Facebook. And this might be a little bit TMI, I'm just going to be honest, but... I went to the porter potty of the park, and as I was going to the bathroom, I contemplated whether or not I should add her. I think the first interaction I had with Taylor was while I was going to the bathroom when I clicked add on Facebook. So everyone is looking like I'm a weirdo. No one laughed. All right, we'll keep going. I thought it was funny. No one else did. <laughs> so a few weeks pass after I add her on Facebook, and I'm in the car with my other brothers, and I get a Facebook message from this Taylor Harmon telling me to go to a Chi Alpha Fall Retreat. My brother had pinned her against me to get me to come to Jesus things. And the sole reason I went to this Kyle Fall retreat was because I was desperate and I thought she was pretty cute. So I'm like, why not? I remember I got to the campground early and I just waited for her and she was late. And when she got out of the car, she comes to me, she shakes my hands and says, you must be Derek. I think we're supposed to get married. She was joking, but I was like, heck yes. <laughs> I'm glad we're on the same page. Like one week and we're, nope, can't keep going that thought. Anyways. But the rest of that night, to be honest, I'm a pretty awkward person, so I was really, really awkward around her. I avoided her like the plague. She sat next to me at this pizza party, and I like took my chair and like put it away from her so my back would be here. She'd be like talking to me. I'd be like, hi, and look the other way. And the next day, people kept cracking jokes about how we're going to get married. And I realized, wow, Derek, you cannot screw this up. So I started pursuing her. I worked past my awkwardness, and I put on the Quinby charm, which isn't very charming, if I'm being honest. We flirted most of the day. I made fun of how short a different guy's shorts were. And then look at now, five years later, everyone wants short shorts. Never makes fun of how long my shorts are. But anyways, we'll keep going. <laughs> I played my heart out during our flag football tournament just to show off. I'm like, I'm going to show her that I'm just a phenom and she's off doing yoga in the corner. But anyways, and we stayed up all night that night by a bonfire getting to know each other. I pursued Taylor. My friends helped me, especially my older brother. And from that weekend on, we were on a journey towards marriage. We were far from perfect in our relationship, but the fact is that every step of the way, we had marriage in mind, and that was a very good thing. We knew that we were on a trajectory towards something. We wanted to make sure that we were headed in the same direction. That's what dating is. It's finding someone you're interested in, pursuing them, getting to know them, and trying to find out, is this person the person I want to spend the rest of my life with? So maybe you're here and you're already dating or you're engaged, 
and you've been trying to figure out, what the heck am I supposed to do? Maybe if you're honest, you feel a little bit lost in your relationship. Maybe your relationship is all right, but you just need direction. You need to figure out how to date well. Or maybe your relationship, if you're honest, is out of balance. Maybe you're spending all of your time, your energy, your thought life with that person, and your relationship has become your idol. Maybe your relationship is actually just something you do for fun. You don't give a whole lot of weight to it, and you just date to date because you're kind of bored. You don't do it with a lot of intentionality, but you're just kind of along for the ride. Or maybe you're here and you're single, and you're dreading the dating sermon. And last week, we talked about the gift of singleness. But maybe you don't want that gift. You're like, Derek, you can keep that under the tree. We're good. I don't want that. You want the gift of a guy simping after you, buying you flowers, put on his best jean jacket to come and meet you. <laughs> and then I get like three laughs, but the single people all like stare at me like, I'll kill you. <laughs> uh, boys are the worst. Avoid them. Anyways, let's keep going. I know a lot of us in here have a history with relationships. Those can be good relationships or those can be bad ones. Maybe you come in here with a lot of baggage from your relationships. Maybe you had a terrible relationship in your past, and if you're honest, you feel a lot of guilt and shame about your past struggles with your boyfriend or girlfriend. And maybe the burden of this, these past struggles eat at you, and they have a stronghold in your life. Or potentially, that bad relationship is not one of the past, but one of the present. Maybe you're currently in a relationship, and if you're honest, you don't know if it's what's best for you. What should you do? Maybe your boyfriend or girlfriend doesn't love Jesus, but you love them. So you feel like you're at a crossroads. Tonight, we're going to continue to answer this question of what do we do when sparks fly? We're going to talk about the slow burn known as dating. I'm trying to get all my sermon titles to be some stupid thing to do with fire. I'm really excited for the fourth one, but we'll keep going. Slow burn is the title if anyone cares. Nope. All right. Last week, we talked about what love truly is, how love is laying down our lives for other people. And then we looked at this question of, am I the person that the person I'm looking for is looking for. Meaning, too often we just focus on finding Mr. or Mrs. Right, when in actuality what we should be focusing on is, am I the person who a person like me would want to date? For example, if you want to date someone who loves Jesus, but you don't act in a way that's loving to Jesus, there might be a conundrum in your situation. So we have to look to become like Jesus in all seasons of life, specifically in singleness, and that really is the key to finding the right future spouses, making sure yourself is prepared. And the beautiful part about dating is it was not a concept when Jesus was alive. When Jesus was alive, your dad and mom picked, and you're like, baba booey, we're done. And it was much quicker. So luckily for us, the Bible says practically nothing on dating. Doesn't that make it so easy for us 21st century people trying to date? And I'll be honest, I'm just going to give you guys my blueprint. Here's what I do. I read the Bible. I figure out what it says. I tell you what it says. And then I say, do that. And then we repeat the next week. I can't do that because step one's done. There's nothing in there. So... My job's not quite as easy this week. However, luckily for us, I hope you guys are excited because there is one love story in the Bible. This story is told in the book of Song of Solomon. Some people think this book is actually just like an allegory to our relationship with God. Like they get a really deep thought process on it. And to be honest, I don't know if I agree. I think the story is about a story of a couple falling in love. And John Mark Comer, who's the author of Loveology, which is the book that we're basing the series off of, he agrees with me. Because God loves romance and he celebrates it through the story of a king and a shepherd girl falling in love. This story shows us some dates on how to, or shows us some tips on how to date well. But our world is so broken in regards to romance. Divorce rates are growing, hookup culture is on the rise, sex is becoming a thing that happens outside of a loving covenant known as marriage, and there's a growing amount of children who grow up without one of their parents in the home. God wrote this story in the Song of Solomon to show us what 
love and romance can look like in the middle of a broken and messed up world. Because romance is a wonderful God-given thing, but he has placed some boundaries and some guardrails around to protect us. So we're going to use different parts of this story throughout the night, and they're all centered on these four marks of a healthy dating relationship that John Mark Comer created. These four marks are known as the chase, the line, the friends, and the journey to the day. That's our roadmap for the evening, and I'm going to pray over us. Jesus, we love you so much, God. Thank you for romance. Thank you for this opportunity we get to talk about this topic, Jesus. And I pray that if there's anyone in here who throughout the evening feels condemnation or guilt from their past, God, I pray that you'll wipe that away, God. Thank you for wiping our sin just away, God, making us white as snow. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen. Amen. The main idea this evening is when sparks fly, we must date with intentionality. When sparks fly, we must date with intentionality. So we'll jump through the four marks. Mark number one is the chase. And we read about the chase in the beginning of our love story in the book of Song of Solomon. So this is the story of the guy going after the girl. Think of it like the Bible's time period version of guys sliding into a girl's DMs. We read about it in Song of Solomon too. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. Guys, if you send that to a girl on Instagram DM, she'll probably, like, block you, I guess. So don't do that. We'll keep going. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Two times in this passage, the guy calls out to his beloved. He says, arise and come away with me. Men, we cannot sit on our couches playing video games all day and expect girls to come running after us. We need to get up, leap over some mountains, run like a gazelle, and ask her out. That's the man's job. You need to pursue her. Let her know that you're after her, or else she will never know. And why is this specifically the man's job? Well, we read this in Genesis chapter 2. This is the story of the first ever couple, Adam and Eve. Adam leads Eve. This is the repeated pattern throughout Scripture where men are called to lead. And even though you're not married yet, men can take the initial step of leading women by pursuing her. Now, before any ladies get angry with me in this room tonight, let me say this. This kind of leadership is not domineering. Comer says this kind of leadership is, by lead, I do not mean boss around, take charge, dominate, intimidate, or any other stupid thing that men have done in the name of the Bible. I mean step out. Take responsibility, care for, listen to, serve, and risk. See, that's good. I, I had you all angry with me. Oh, okay. I'll t- you guys never clap. This is great. I know I had the girls all like, I saw some like bow and arrows coming after me. I was like, just wait for one minute. I'll get there. It'll explain. Ah, goodness. Oof, that was scary. I'm a people pleaser. I hate when people get mad at me. Anyways, this is how men lead. We lead through serving the woman. We take risks for her. And they begin to chase by not being scared to put themselves out there. Leadership, according to the Bible, is servanthood. Jesus, the ultimate leader, washed the disciples' feet. That is the call of men. Men are to pursue the woman in a way that makes her feel safe. Safe. Don't be a weirdo. This is what our king does in the story. He makes her feel safe. And he looks like a gazelle, so he also seems like he needed to work out, but we'll keep going. We also need to note that our story is not a one-way street. This is not an excuse for men to force themselves upon women, like, I'm coming, gazelle, I'm ready. No, they don't have to accept the gazelle. They can say, keep going on to the next road if they want to. The interest must be mutual. 
If she says she's not interested, leave her alone. Don't be that creepy guy that's got a bunch of text on red. Don't do it. I won't like it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to deal with it. So just if she ignores you, baba booey, you're done. I need to stop saying that. I spend too much time with John. <laughs> However, the man is never going to know. Oh, women, listen up. The man's never going to know the interest is mutual unless you tell him. In the beginning of the book, the woman says, your love is better than wine. Draw after me. Let us run. She didn't play hard to get. She let him know that she's waiting at the door. All you got to do is come and knock. Ladies, you cannot hide away and expect the guy to come like a gazelle. You have to be out and ready to see your man running through the mountains. The point is, after mutual interest is established, we must be willing to pursue each other. We cannot sit on the couch all day crying because we're single. We have to go out and meet people. Too often, if we're honest, we blame our environments. We say, there's no Jesus-loving man or woman around me. I disagree. Anyways, we'll keep going. We blame some external factor as to why we have not met the one yet. It's not my fault. It's someone else's fault. If you are never putting yourself out there, though, you do not have a chance to find a spouse. Your passivity is not God's fault. We cannot be too scared of rejection that we never put ourselves out. We live in a world that is so scared to be rejected, to be let down, and this leads to less and less romantic conversations. In fact, good news, young people are having less sex than they have had in the last 50 years. And I would love to say this is because of a newfound commitment to abstinence and people are falling in love with King Jesus, but that's not the case. There's actually two reasons behind less sex. The first one is porn. Porn is fulfilling that need in people's lives and they're giving them a messed up view of sexuality, which makes sexual relationship with an actual person much harder. But this is not the only reason behind less sex, though. Another huge factor is our generation struggles with conversation and we struggle with flirting because of the rise of the digital age. If you cannot flirt with someone, you cannot seduce them, sex becomes slightly to moderately to extremely difficult. Unless you're just like so attractive that people run to you and you're like, yes, here I am. I don't have to talk to you. That's, that wasn't my story. I had to learn how to have a conversation. So unless you're just so attractive, the opposite sex comes running after you, you need to learn how to talk to people. So we must learn how to have conversations with the opposite sex. This means we can be friends with the opposite gender. Try it. It can be fun or terrible. It's a fun game. It's like rolling the dice. You never know what you'll get. See, I think the biggest issue that we can have when asking people out on dates is we find our self-worth in their response. If they respond positively, okay, I am good and I'm worthy of their love. If they reject me, I must be worthless. But this is false because our self-worth does not come from the opposite gender. It comes from our God in heaven. We can ask people out and not be scared if we root our identity in Jesus and say, I am a son or a daughter of the king. It don't matter what you think, but I'd love to take you to coffee. If they say no, they say, that's okay because I'm a son or daughter of the king. I don't need your approval, even though I kind of wanted it. We can say, I don't need it <laughs> because our identity is in Jesus. Amen? A lot of issues in our lives come from our identity be placed in the wrong things. So that's a good first step, but that's a whole other message, so I won't get there. So as I tell you all these things about not fearing rejection, I need to come clean with you, though. I was really scared of rejection growing up. And I think this all points back to one day at church camp. Church camp is just a week in the summer when a bunch of teenagers from various churches come together to learn about Jesus. That's at least the intention or design of the camp. To many teenagers, though, this is the week where they think they're going to find their soulmate. See, I think a lot of teenagers come into this week not thinking, I'm excited to walk away to the closer relationship with King Jesus. No, they're instead, I'm about to find my future love, and if I get Jesus on the side, that's fine. <laughs> and I was no exception to this. I remember the summer after my ninth grade year, I was on the green team. 
And when we first split into our teams, I looked around, and then I found her. Sparks started to fly, at least in one direction. (laughs) She was the one. I was going to marry her. She was the answer to my long nights of prayer. And I spent the week watching her win our team games, and I thought we were going to fall in love. Did I have a conversation with her? Absolutely not. But I was convinced she was my spouse. Then came the Thursday or the last day of camp. And just for some backstory, I was not very coordinated or very good at the games we were playing. It was one of the last games, and we we're doing this individual obstacle course. And I remember this moment very vividly. She looked at me, and I must have been like gawking at her, and she said the worst sentence I have ever heard in my entire life. She looked at me and said, Hey, little buddy, would you like to try a turn? You're laughing at my trauma. I'm glad this is comical, dude. I didn't talk to a girl for seven years after. I'm just kidding. That's not that Ah, I was so crushed. She viewed me as her little buddy. Looking back, I should have seen this coming. See, she was a senior in high school and I was a freshman. She was tall and pretty and I was rather short and goofy looking. However, I was ruined. I had been rejected. However, not every story ends this way. If this was the only possible outcome that would happen when we put ourselves out there, I would tell you to run and hide from the opposite gender. That's not the only way that can end. I want to counter this story with a different story from my senior year of high school. To backtrack, all throughout high school, I had this this crush on the same girl. She was a student body president. She was very smart, and I thought the world of her. However, after that summer camp, no chance am I putting myself out there. So throughout all four years of high school, I had a ton of classes together. She was probably my closest friend that was a female, but I never worked up the courage to ask her out. Then came my senior year. During spring break, we went to Disney World for a show choir competition. And after the competition, which we won, she came up to me and asked, why did you never ask me out? I was so dumbfounded. I later learned through a friend that she was interested and she would have said yes if I just would have asked. And I was like, stupid, I blown my opportunity. She was getting ready to go to a school far away. I was talking to someone else, so I had lost my chance. The girl of my then dreams would have went out with me if only I would have asked. Looking back, I'm very glad I didn't ask because I love Taylor a whole lot and she's incredible and was definitely the person designed to be my spouse. But my senior year self was really angry that I didn't go after the chase. So we must be intentional in this chase. We have to actually ask people out. Men, ask her on a date. Nothing crazy. You don't have to go to an expensive restaurant. Please don't take her to like a $4,000 dining experience because that's going to freak her out. Just say, hey, can we get some coffee and see what happens? I think we take dating too seriously. Not like being in a relationship, but the actual act of going on a date. Just be intentional. Put yourself out there. What's the worst that's going to happen? We actually all need to be rejected once in a while. It's good for us. If you want to find out, come to the Chick-fil-A party next year and try to make a friend. Anyways. (laughs) And you never know. Sparks just might start to fly over that cup of coffee. And women, please don't play hard to get. If a guy works up the courage to ask you out, don't like run away from him and yell and scream and say you're goofy looking or something. Just be honest with him. If you're not interested, that's okay. But if, if you are interested, try to be a little obvious. And again, if you're not interested, don't be weird about it. Too often, like, people go on dates and they come back and they, like, won't look at each other again. I'm like, we all know what happened. This is uncomfy. And I don't want to deal with that, okay? So if you guys go on a date with other people in this room and it doesn't fly, that's okay. If sparks are dwindling, don't be weird around each other, at least for my sake, because I don't want to deal with that, okay? I don't like, I'm awkward enough for the rest of us. We don't need you guys throwing in your awkwardness, okay? Amen. Let's go to Mark number two. Mark number two is the line. Oh, everyone's like, crap. (laughs) 
Uh, In our story in Song of Solomon, the couple definitely discusses sexuality. The woman is a virgin on her wedding night, but this does not mean that she did not have sexual desires before their wedding night. To be honest, some of the things that are written in this book are kind of wild. The language throughout this book proves that they were certainly sexually charged before their wedding night. However, every time that they start sharing about their sexual feelings, this woman goes back to this common chorus that we first read in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. See, they're getting a little crazy. But I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. The woman is pleading with us. She's begging us not to awaken love too early. She knows the hold that this kind of love can have on you. She knows the dangers of waking sexual love too early. She's saying, please, for the love of God, wait until God says it's okay for you to awaken that kind of relationship. And that only happens after you're married. It's never the right time before the wedding day to awaken sexual love. That's when God pours his love on the relationship and it becomes a good idea to start a sexual relationship. Not two weeks before the wedding, but on the wedding day is the first time that God says, okay, this is okay now. See, I think too often we ask the wrong question. I think when you're in a relationship, we're constantly asking, how far is too far? See, we're obviously sexually charged before marriage, so we constantly ask, what's okay for me to do outside of marriage? Can we kiss? Can we make out? Can we spend the night together, roll around together, touch each other? What's allowed? However, according to this woman, this is the wrong question. The proper question is not how far is too far. The proper question is when can we start? And we can only start on the wedding night, not a day sooner. It does not matter if you're engaged or convinced of the one. Because if you haven't made that covenant before God and your loved ones, it is too soon to start a sexual relationship in the eyes of God. And this doesn't just mean going all the way. This is any kind of sexual relationship. See, we must be intentional about the line in our relationships. Another way of putting this is we need to be intentional with the boundaries we set. We're going to talk a little bit more about sexuality and boundaries next week. But for our purposes tonight, it's crucial to understand that a healthy dating relationship has boundaries. A huge problem that that I can see with dating couples is that sometimes we start to idolize our relationship. Their relationship with their significant other is the most important thing in their life. It's where they spend all their time, energy, thoughts, and worrying is about that person. And something that makes couples idolize each other or place them on the throne of their lives is crossing sexual boundaries. Because when you do that, it actually glues you to the other person neurologically and it makes you more attached to them. And this attachment leads to you idolizing them. They're a part of you, and that's not natural outside of marriage, so you start, they start to have an unnatural place in your life because they're doing unnatural sexual things that God did not design for your body to do before you're married, which is going to do something to your brain. As some of you guys know, Taylor and I have a dog named Cap, and my dog is crazy. He loves to run around, and he's such a lucky dog. We have a fenced-in backyard where he can run all he wants. However, our backyard fence has one post that's broken, In the spot where it's broken, he can wiggle his way out of it, and it leads to another little fenced-in area that's behind our garage. So he can't run away, which is good, but that fenced-in area has a bunch of weeds, a bunch of bushes. It's just a mess. It's terrible back there. So usually what I do is I just let my dog outside, and I wait until he barks to come let him back in. But there's one day where I let him out, and he's outside for quite a while, and he's not barking. I go to the back, and I yell for Cap, and he comes running back from behind the garage, and he's covered in little burrs. His face is all matted, his hair stuck together, and he's clearly in deep pain. So then we had to spend hours, mostly Taylor, 
brushing him, pulling out these burrs. And as we did that, that hurt him really bad because he was all matted up and his, his hair was all messed up. He was in a lot of pain for hours because of that. This is like our situation with sexual boundaries. God has placed a fence and said, this is what is okay in regards to sexual boundaries. He says that anything that awakens sexual love, anything that causes you to lust, so anything that charges you or excites you sexually outside of marriage, that is a sin. That's our fence. We need to be in the covenant of marriage. And we can force our way out of the fence. God's not going to like control you and make you not do things. So we can go behind the garage and try to do our own things. God gives us freedom, just like I give cap. So we're free to do that. However, God is smarter than us. And he knows that the fence in an area is what is safe and that's what's best for us. He knows that outside the fence of his design for sexuality is full of burrs and it's going to hurt you. When we go outside of the line or our boundaries, we, all we do is cause ourselves pain and a lot of time and energy undoing the mistakes we've made. See, when Taylor and I were helping Cap, it didn't physically hurt us like pull things out of his hair, but it hurt him a lot physically. However, although it didn't hurt us physically, it hurt me deeply to see the dog that I love in pain. So right after we pulled those out, I went and I fixed the fence because I love Cap and I don't want him to get hurt. I care about him and I know boundaries are best for him. God does not give us boundaries to ruin our fun. He does it because he knows best and he doesn't want you to be in a bunch of pain. That's why God gives us a design for sexuality. So if you're in a dating relationship and you're like Cap and you're running outside the fence, you've been making out, rolling around, touching things you shouldn't touch, spending all of your time together, spending the night together, having sex, including oral sex, then you are outside the fence. You're getting yourself caught up in burrs. Luckily for us, though, this is the good news. God doesn't leave us stuck in our mess. God loves us enough to come, wipe our sin away, make us good as new and clean us and love us despite our sin. However, after Jesus forgives us, we shouldn't go back outside the fence. We should trust that God is smarter than us. So do not keep doing the same things over and over again and expecting different results. Trust God that his fence is best. And if one or both of you cannot honor God and have good boundaries, it might mean it's time to take a break or it's time to get married. That's a little bit different end of the spectrum, but that's kind of your options. Jesus forgives you. Nothing you've done in the past makes it so you're unlovable or uncleanable, but Jesus forgives you. So let's try to change ourselves and do what God says to do. Jesus loves you too much to let you settle for less than his best in your relationship. And God's best is amazing sex inside the covenant of marriage. And as you develop a sexual relationship with someone, you blind yourself to that person. The pers their purpose of dating someone is to figure out if they could be your spouse. And then when you start to figure that out, you start to build a foundation for marriage. And the foundation for marriage is not sex. Because if it is, your marriage will crumble because you will get old and ugly and wrinkly. Comer says this way, at some point you want more, of a more out of a relationship than foreplay. You want a friend, a partner, a mother or father for your children. If you wouldn't want that person to be your mother or father, run away from, or mother or father of your kids, run away from them. You want to do life together. You want to enjoy each other's company long after your ability to make love has faded. But when you're dating, there is no way to know if you have that kind of chemistry until you spend a season of life together where sex is not involved. The foundation of our relationships must be friendship, common calling, and true love for Jesus and for each other. Let's move on to the next mark. Mark number three is the friends. In this book, the story is not just about the king and the lady. There's other characters. There's actually a third party involved, and that is their friends. From the very beginning of the story, the friends approve of this relationship. It says in Song of Solomon 1, We rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. They let other people speak into their relationship. 
See, this couple's not trying to figure it all out by themselves. They let people who have more wisdom, who have actually been in a healthy relationship, help them. So if someone tells you that there's something wrong with your relationship, or that maybe you're with the wrong person, or maybe your boundaries aren't quite wise, they're probably not trying to control you. Probably what they're doing is they love you enough to speak truth into you. They care more about your future than your momentarily feelings. They've gone through this before, and they're looking out for you. For example, I'm sharing these things with you, and I love you all deeply, but you crossing physical boundaries with your significant other doesn't actually impact my day-to-day life, right? Like, I'm still married and doing the job I love and get to keep going, but I love you too much not to tell you the truth. So I'm not telling you these things to try to help my own life because it doesn't impact me. And if your small group leader or a trusted mentor in your life is doing that, it doesn't really make a difference in their life. So maybe listen to what they have to say because they might just be doing it because they love you. It's incredibly awkward to challenge someone on their sexual relationship. So they're not doing it for fun. I promise. They've gone through this before, and they're looking out for you. Neuroscientists say that when we are infatuated with someone, we create someone who doesn't actually exist. We're so in love that we make excuses for all their faults and glorify all their strengths. For example, maybe there's this guy you're interested in, and he goes to small group, and your mind's just racing. You're like, oh my gosh, this guy loves people so well. He's clearly living a life of real devotion, real communion, real responsibility. He loves the Lord so much. I bet he spends all of his time discipling other guys, spending time in the scripture, and pouring out his soul for the kingdom of God. That's what you tell yourself. But in actuality, he only goes to small group because the night that they invited him, they were having pizza and playing video games, and he has skipped every small group since that has talked about Jesus. Or maybe there's this girl in your life, and you find her stunning. She's everything you want in a, in a wife, and your friend comes up to you and is like, bro, she cusses up a storm. She just cussed out a guy for budging in front of her at the piazza. And you fight back, you're like, no, she's just passionate. She has a fire inside of her to change the world. And you don't even know, maybe she wasn't cussing. Maybe she just like speaking in tongues or something. You've got no idea what she was saying. We like to defend things, right? And this is why we need friends to speak into our dating relationships. We have blind spots. We are blinded by love, affection, or potentially we're blinded by our sexual relationships. Of course you're not going to think your boundaries are too far. You're probably having fun passing them. The pleasure you get will blind you, and only people on the outside will probably notice it. Too often we think we know what's best for our our own lives, but experientially and scientifically, this isn't the case. And this goes against our culture of individualism, right? But if we want to date successfully, we must make it a communal thing. We have to have people in our lives that we can confess to and that will challenge us. And this requires us to be humble enough to say we don't have all the answers. So share your struggles in a small group. If you're in a dating relationship, you should probably be talking about your relational struggles, especially in regards to sexual boundaries, every single week in small group. Be vulnerable. We do this not just to share our dirty laundry, but because we want freedom. We confess our sins to God for forgiveness and then to community for freedom. And you cannot be held accountable for something if you never tell anyone what's going on. It's a good trick to play if you don't want to be held accountable. Just never bring it up. Just have like a hidden boyfriend or girlfriend or something, and then they'll never ask. And that was bad advice. Why did I say that? Sorry. I'll keep going. We have to be intentional about letting people into our relationships. Most people aren't just going to like insert themselves, right? They're not going to say, let me tell you how to date. That would be awkward. Don't do that. But if you truly want a healthy relationship, intentionally ask people, will you speak into this? Ask your friends, do you like my potential suitor? If they don't, maybe they're onto something. Maybe they're a jerk. Ask people who have been in a relationship for advice because they might just know better. Let's go on to mark number four, the journey. Finally, we get to the climax of our story. It's the wedding day. The wedding day is described in Song of Solomon chapter three. We're not going to read it tonight, but if you want to read about their wedding, it is there. The story's been leading up to this point. There's been a tension pulling us in, a buildup to their wedding day. The goal has been reached. They have finally made it. Every healthy relationship 
should either be headed towards or away from marriage. Dating is designed to help us figure out if this person could be your future spouse. Dating just to date is stupid. It's a waste of your heart, your time, and your feelings. Do not just look for a boyfriend or girlfriend. Look for a spouse. This does not mean you have to have it all figured out right away. My story is kind of an anomaly. Most people don't know if they're supposed to get married right away, and that's okay. Take time. Go on dates. Get to know them, but keep the end in mind. I implore you to not date until you're relatively ready to get married because the point of dating is to get married. You probably shouldn't date until you're ready to get married relatively soon. For example, if you're a senior who's moving to Thailand next fall, you probably shouldn't go on a date with a freshman who plans on being in Cedar Falls the next four years. That's going to create some tension. If you're 12 years old and dating, you have to ask yourself, where is this relationship going? You don't have to have everything figured out. Obviously, Taylor and I didn't because we were really young when we got married, but we did have a general idea. We were both extremely poor. We worked at Scratch Cupcakery, but I knew I wanted to pastor college students, and she felt called to be a teacher. We knew there was alignment there, so we could continue on. We had a lot of growing up to do, but we were willing to go on this journey of being poor and growing up together. This means that before you start dating, it's a good idea to have some general idea of what you're called to. Make sure that you know the relative direction of your life and that you and the other person could be on the same path. Because you don't want to feel a call to go be an overseas missionary someday, and then this person says, I never want to leave the state of Iowa or a six-minute radius from my parents' house, because that's going to create some conflict later in life. Let's avoid that by waiting until we actually have some idea of our life before we start dating. It's perfectly okay to take time to get to know each other and to figure out if your paths align before marriage. We do not want to rush into marriage, because once you're married, there's no going back. That is it. The Bible is clear that you are together. And this is, again, why boundaries are important, because the more you cross your physical boundaries, the quicker you need to make a decision on whether or not this person is your future, which doesn't give you enough time to properly evaluate if this person's actually the person I want to marry. I do not want to see people in Chi Alpha get divorced after they get married. So we must be intentional with our boundaries and intentional about figuring out, is this the person that I should marry? So take time to do that. When it comes to who we marry, the Bible actually only gives us one command. It's in 1 Corinthians 7. It says this, She is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. You can marry whomever you wish if they're in the Lord. They can be an artist, a teacher, an accountant, tall, short, buff, chubby, but they must follow Jesus. That is his only command to us. If you follow Jesus, your significant other must too. It's going to cause a lot less problems. I would say the exact same thing to an atheist. If you're an atheist in here, probably marry an atheist. That way you'll be on the same page in regards to religion. If you're passionate about following Jesus, you'll want them to be as well. And you'll know they're passionate about what they talk about. If they never talk about God to you, they probably don't really care about God. If you never hear them talk about God to you publicly, they probably never talk to God privately. We must be intentional in this. If you don't know if they follow Jesus, listen to this. If you don't know if they follow Jesus you know. They don't. Because if you truly love Jesus, the person you're dating or interested in is going to know about your deep affection for a God. So if you don't know, they probably don't love Jesus. Don't date someone based on who they could become. Date someone based on who they actually are. Because if you start dating someone because you want to turn them into a Christian or Jesus follower, you're going to be trying to control them and change them. And that's not a healthy environment to start a relationship. No. If they're not any different than the person they are when you meet them, if you, if you, can't, if you have to say something needs to change before I'd marry them, then don't date them then. Because you cannot force change upon a partner. 
that's not going to lead to a wise relationship. If you love Jesus, it is extremely unwise to date someone who does not know Jesus. Please do not try to convince yourself that they'll change or that you can change them. The reason I'm passionate about this, I told you last week, is because I did this, and it was terrible. It caused me so much pain. You are not Jesus. You are not God. You're not good enough to get them to fall in love with God. If the point of your relationship is to get them to follow Jesus, then your point of your relationship is not following Jesus together on a path towards marriage, right? They must already love Jesus. I want you to imagine you're on like a track and you're trying to run a race. You want to win, right? Imagine how much harder it's going to be to win a race if you're dragging a significant other along with you towards Jesus. No, you want to be sprinting and then the other person's sprinting by you trying to cause you to run faster. That's what my relationship with Taylor is like. I start running fast over Jesus. She just tries to go past me. Go past. It's fun. It's a competition. And I love competition. So it's fun. But it's a competition to be like Jesus. And I don't feel like I have to drag Taylor closer to Jesus. That sounds exhausting. Every date, text, phone call, cup of coffee should either be pulling you together towards husband and wife or pulling you apart towards separation. Keep the end in mind at all times. And be intentional about how you spend your time in dating. Work through your issues before you enter marriage. Please push past surface-level conversations. Get deep. Dig deep during your dating years to build your marriage on the solid rock of Jesus. Obey what he calls you to do. This means don't just, like, play together. By this, I mean life is not, unfortunately, going out to eat, going to movies, and doing fun stuff all the time. Life's about doing work. Be intentional and do your life together. Go to church together, cook together, clean together. In marriage, you're not constantly going on dates. And you need to replicate this in your dating life by doing things that are not necessarily fun together. Of course you enjoy that person. Every time you hang out with them, you go mini-golfing. Maybe you just like mini-golfing. Maybe you don't even like the person, but you just like going on dates. If Taylor would have, nope, not going to go there anyways. That's going to make a basketball joke. One of these things that's important to do is you need to have intentional conversations. Ask each other hard questions. Ask, where do you see this going? Here's my two cents. These are not biblical. This is not the word of the Lord. This is the word of Derek, and it might be wrong. I think after about six months, you usually have a decent idea of whether or not you should get married. I think that's a good amount of time to kind of have it figured out. Not that you need to get married after six months. No. I think date longer than that. Be engaged longer than that. Take as much time as you need. But I think about that six month to year mark, you have a general idea if this person could be the one. If you're a couple years in and you're still not sure if that person's your future spouse, I think you're sure they're not your future spouse. You just, not, you just may not like that answer. Have vulnerable conversations with each other. Talk about past sexual sin. Open up about where you've crossed boundaries in past relationships and personal sin struggles. Be real with each other without like tempting each other into sin. That's a whole weird dynamic. We're not going to go down. But be honest with each other. If you're single, you might be wondering, okay, thank you for that dissertation on dating. How does this apply to me? Do the work now. Work through your struggles and build your foundation upon Jesus now because your relationship with Jesus is so much more important than any romantic relationship. Plus, if you go into dating with these four marks in mind, it's going to help you do it well. Also, it will be hard for Jesus to trust you with another person if he cannot trust you to take care of yourself. If you can't control your own spiritual walk and be disciplined, how is he supposed to trust you with the soul of someone else? You don't have to be perfect. I certainly wasn't. But before seeking a relationship, you should probably build yourself on solid ground. Read the Bible. Pray. Spend time with Jesus first, then seek a relationship later. Remember, when sparks fly, we must date with intentionality. 
That word intentionality is crucial to all of this. Too often as college students and just people in general, we kind of just wander aimlessly, right, without a plan. Have a plan in place to how this is going to go well. You must be intentional in your dating lives. If you are in a relationship, be intentional to not like idolize that significant other. They cannot be the center of your universe. They simply are not good enough to be your whole world. They will come up short. Not only must you be intentional in not idolizing your significant other, you must be intentional with how you date. You must be intentional about the chase. Put yourself out there. Be willing to be rejected. Don't play hard to get. Don't play head games with people. You must be intentional about the line. How much time should you spend together? When is our curfew? What are our sexual boundaries? Be intentional about your boundaries. If you just never talk about them, then they're not there. Intentionally allow other people to speak into your relationship. Ask for advice. Let people challenge you. Let them point out your blind spots. I'm not saying that these other people are perfect and they're the Lord, because they're not. Your leaders, your mentors, they don't know everything. But if they're telling you something, they might just be on to something. Maybe not. But I like to think in every like, criticism or challenge or rebuke, there's at least 1% of truth. So try to listen to them. And, know, and don't get mad at them when they challenge you because they're doing it because they love you. Finally, in all dating, date with intentionality about the end. Dating should just be a journey to figuring out, is this person the one? Keep the end in mind throughout the whole process. Date with intentionality to figure out if the person should be the one. And I want to say this again. If you're in here and you're single, I promise you a boyfriend or girlfriend or future spouse is not going to fulfill you. They're not good enough to be your God. So if you're here and you're single and if you're honest, you spend a lot of your time worrying about that, I challenge you to give that to the Lord tonight and say, I'll, I'll be ready to date if you send me someone ever the Lord, but until then, I'm going to pursue you and I'm going to be okay being single because God is smart and he has a plan for your life and God loves you more than you love yourself. Trust him. It's okay to be single. I know in a culture such as like a Christian culture like this, a lot of people start dating and get married pretty quickly, right? And that's cool, but it can also be kind of hard. You're like, all my friends are married and they're like 12. What's going on right now? That doesn't mean you need to do that too. Just because your small group leaders are married and they're sophomores does not mean you have to be married when you're a sophomore. God has a specific timing and call on your life. Do not try to rush into something. I do not want you to marry someone just so you don't feel weird and so you have a spouse and then regret marrying them a few years later. Right? I care more about your future in 40 years being a successful mom and dad and grandpa and grandma and having a beautiful marriage than you just having satisfaction as a junior because you want to fit in with your weird. Your small group leader who's married, they're the weird one, not you. Okay? Amen. I got some claps. That's good. So don't feel like you have to do that. But on the other end, you can't be doing sexual things outside of marriage. So there's like a line. Ask them why they got married. See if that's why. Anyway, maybe. Well, there's no, ooh, that's why. Nope, nope, nope. Let's keep going. Uh, we are in a generation where dating is harder than ever. Because it's so much easier to get this dating fix from things like pornography or Tinder or a quick, easy solution. We're told we need to have a significant other to have worth. We see people on Instagram posting pictures about their perfect relationship when they just got done with a fight 30 seconds later, but they had to post that post so they felt better about themselves. We see this culture around us that's throwing things at you that either you have to have a boyfriend or girlfriend, or you don't have to. You can just use porn instead. We have all these things that are coming after us. And dating well is anything but quick and easy. We have to be intentional with how we date. 
But imagine this. Kyle, I just want you to dream with me for a second. What if we were intentional with our dating lives? What would happen? We would have healthier marriages because we were intentional in our dating lives. We would see far fewer couples get divorced because they worked through their issues before marriage or they did not get married because there was issues that they couldn't work with. We would see so much less broken homes. We would see less children grow up without one or both parent. We would see people thriving in a relationship with God and having a family that goes to church together. Here's something a little random. Ladies, don't you dare marry a guy that's going to make you take your kids to church by, by yourself on Sunday morning. I see too many single women at church where they're, where they're not single, but their husband's too lazy because he wants to watch the NFL. Don't you dare let that be you. You are worth more than that. You are worth more than that. Not that men all suck, okay? I love men. I am one, so I like them. But you just usually scientifically see that more with females. Don't let that happen. If they don't go to church now, they're not going to go to church with you later. They might go to church with you while you're dating because they want to do things with you, and they know that's the way to your heart. They're not going to go to church when they don't have to when you sign the contract of marriage. Imagine if we were intentional about not idolizing our relationships or our others. Imagine that when sparks start to fly, if we could focus on more than just our dating lives and we could truly love other people through laying our lives down for other people and we can date with intentionality. Not only would you have a healthier relationship, but also you'd get to love the people around you and make an impact that is greater than just your marriage, but is for the kingdom of God. That's exciting. At least I think so. You guys would all stand with me. All right, we're going to have a response team up in the front corners that will be there. If something God is doing something in your life and God is stirring you and you want to pray, or maybe you want to confess a sin, maybe you just want to share your heart, these people are put here to pray with you. Whatever you share there is going to be confidential. They're not going to go share it with anyone else. They're not going to tell your small group. They're not going to tell anyone else. But they are a resource to you if you want some prayer about these things. I know this is a heavy topic, guys. Hear me. I know this is hard. Believe it or not, I dated I'm not that old. It wasn't that long ago. And it wasn't for very long, but we did date. And I know it was hard. Taylor and I were not perfect in these four marks. We were not. The reason I'm so passionate about this topic is because we were not perfect. And I don't want you to have to go through what we went through, right? I love you too much for that. But I understand it's hard. I'm not here to bring condemnation or judgment. I'm here to bring a path out. That's my job. But... I, Taylor, Kyle, and Jesus loves you no matter where you're at on this journey. So if you're here tonight, and all this kind of awakens something in you, and you're just, you're kind of confused, maybe you're not sure what to do with it, and then you're in this environment where you sense some kind of presence, but you're not sure what it is, well, that's the presence of Jesus. See, the reason we date with intentionality is because we have an intentional God who's very intentional about his plan for us. See, we have a God who had a plan that he knew we would screw up, he knew we would sin, so he knew in his design of the universe that he was going to send his son Jesus to come and die on a cross for our sins. So no matter what sexual sin you have in your past, no matter what relationship garbage you have, Jesus loves you so much and has paid the price for that. 
When we screw up and when we sin, it's kind of like Jesus is here and we walk all the way over here. And as we're walking, we're like throwing our garbage sin, garbage, making a mountain full of mistakes we've made. And so what we think is we think we're going to have to wade through all this to get to Jesus. But what actually happens is as you're walking away from God and creating garbage, he's walking one step behind you, wading himself through it. So then all you have to do is not run through your sin and your garbage. All you simply need to do is turn around and the king of the universe is right there, ready to forgive you from your sins and give you a path forward out of that past and that life. And that's the best story in the history of mankind, is that all you need to do is decide today, my life is going to be different. I'm going to follow King Jesus and no longer will my dating life or sexual life be defined by the ways of the world, but it will be defined by the God of the universe who designed the whole thing. So if you're here tonight, and if you feel like you've been walking away from Jesus and you've been putting garbage behind you and you want to turn around, I'm gonna ask you all to close your eyes, bow your heads, And on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand as a symbolic act of turning around and saying, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. Jesus, I'm coming back to you. So if that's you on the count of three, please raise your hand. One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you so much. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we love you. God, we love you so much for being such a gracious God. You are so good, God. Thank you for loving us despite the mess we make that you have to clean up, God. Thank you for cleaning up our mess, Jesus. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. As we sing this this last song, if you have some garbage to work through, I highly encourage you to go talk with someone because sometimes it's easier to process through. Or maybe it just looks like you're sitting down and praying with the Lord. Take these next few minutes and actually think about these things. It can be easy for it to go in one ear and out the other, but instead let's prepare our hearts for a way for God to move. And maybe God's asking of a specific action of you. Maybe it looks like having a really serious conversation with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe it looks like dumping your boyfriend or girlfriend because they don't love Jesus. Maybe it looks like you giving your idol of getting into a relationship to Jesus and saying, God, I don't need a spouse. All I need is you. There's something that God might be stirring inside your heart. So I challenge you in this moment to think through that and actually pray and symbolically give it to the Lord. And if you need to have a hard conversation or do something, plan when you're going to do that. And then tell your small group leader or someone in your small group that you need to do that so they can keep you accountable to actually do it. Because in this moment where the Holy Spirit's present and your kind of juices are going, it's easy. Yeah, he's got to go. But then when you get a text from him later saying, hey, you're like, "Uh uh-oh, I don't know if I want him to go anymore. So tell someone so they can help keep you accountable to do what God has asked of you. Let me pray for us one more time before we sing this song. Jesus, I love you so much. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for being a God who gives us an intentional path towards honoring you in our relationships and giving us the great reward of a healthy marriage if we do it. We love you so much.